You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Well, I love that we can be all together this morning, this Christmas morning, and I want to start by asking if there are any kids in the room. Any kids in the room? A few hands, okay. So uh, today, as Christmas Day, means it's the first day of a new season, and that means that we have a new catechism. And so kids in the room, this is for you. I want you to listen up, okay? New catechism. We've been working on Advent. That's, we're done with that now. Now it's the Christmas catechism. And so I have a few questions for you. The first question is this, what season are we now celebrating? This is easy. Christmas. The answer is Christmas. We're celebrating Christmas. Now what is Christmas? Christmas is the season when we welcome Jesus in the world. What kind of season is Christmas? It's a season of joy, not the season of waiting. That was Advent. That's the season of joy. Why are we joyful? Answer, because Jesus has come. Question five, who is Jesus? Answer, Jesus is the Son of God, the light of the world, Emmanuel. And there are a few more questions, three more questions to the catechism, but I want to stop, stop here for now at question five. The question here, number five, who, who is Jesus? That's the most important question in the world. The most important question we could ever ask. If you're going to know anything, know the answer to that question. Know who Jesus is. One of the things that I... I I like, I appreciate about this time of year is that this question about Jesus, about who Jesus is, that's a question that fascinates a lot of people. And uh, one of the ways we, we see this, if you've been out and about, you've probably seen the magazine covers, right? that have a painting of Jesus' face on the cover and then a question or something like that. We, we see these this time of year. Life Magazine does this. Newsweek does it. National Ge- Geographic does this. Other major magazines do this. Come to find out, though, uh, this is actually a traditional thing that goes back to uh, Time Magazine uh, back to 1938. This is when it started. This is the first time they did this back in 1938. Time Magazine published their first special Jesus edition. And they've done that routinely now over the last 80 years. And other magazines have kind of caught on. And so other magazines also do these special Jesus editions this time of year. Why do they do that? Well, the simple answer is because people buy those magazines. That's why they do it. But the reason people buy those magazines is because people are interested in Jesus. If you put a picture of Jesus' face on the cover of a magazine and include a short provocative question about Jesus, Americans have proven that they eat that stuff, we eat that stuff up. We're interested. That's something about our country that has not changed in almost a century. We as a society, as a population, as people, are still very much interested in Jesus. But at the same time, apparently fewer and fewer Americans 
know who Jesus is. Last year, you may have seen this, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research teamed up and did a, a survey called the State of Theology. It's a national survey of what Americans believe about God and the Bible. And in that survey, they found that 52% of American adults, over half, right? 52% of American adults, math, okay? All right, I can do some, don't lose too much confidence in me, all right? I can do some basic. So over half, 52% of American adults agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God, which is just flat out wrong. To, to say that Jesus is a great teacher, but not God, is a rejection of what the Bible says, what Jesus says about himself, and what Christians have always believed. Over half of Americans get this wrong. They get Jesus wrong. They don't know him. And I know surveys are just surveys, and no survey is perfect. But I think it's safe to say that right now, like current in our day, at this, at this time in which God has placed us, more people in our country are interested in Jesus than who know the truth of who he is. More people are interested than who know him. Now, it's not always been this way, and it won't always stay this way, but currently we are in a moment where many people care about Jesus but don't know him. They care about him, but don't know him. They're interested in Jesus, but they're ignorant of Jesus. What does that mean for us? Well, it means just right away, we have an amazing opportunity, right? I mean, go tell it on the mountain. People want to know. You'll be surprised what people want to hear. They want to hear about Jesus. They want to hear who he is. So tell them, we have good news to share. We should share it. We talked about that last night. But also, there's a potential danger here for us that we need to be aware of, a danger that we face. Because what's worse than being interested, of, uh, what's worse than being interested in Jesus but ignorant of him is to know Jesus but not be interested. Like, what if we know Jesus? What if we know him? We know about him, but we just don't really care. This is something that we, we should be aware of. And it goes for all of us in this room because we can get all the answers right about Jesus on paper. We could have all the creeds and all the catechisms memorized, and I want us to, I want us to. But at the end of the day, the question is, do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Do you really worship him? How often do you think about him? How big is he in your day today? Does he matter to you? Like where the rubber meets the road, in the mundane, does Jesus matter to you? I'm convinced that what we need most, church, is not to learn new knowledge about Jesus, but it's to adore him whom we already know. 
And that's why 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 is helpful. It's helpful for us. It's good for us. Because here Paul is simply telling Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. That's the command, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember him. That's the command from the apostle Paul to Timothy and to us. Remember Jesus. Jesus who is risen from the dead. Jesus who is the offspring of David. Both of these facts that Paul mentions here about Jesus are facts that Timothy already knows. Paul is not unveiling here a hidden truth. None of this is a surprise to Timothy. He's just telling him to remember Timothy. Remember Jesus. And that's my prayer for us, especially on this Christmas day, that we would remember Jesus. That's my prayer for us today, and that's my dream for us as a church in the new year and beyond. Would that God make us a people who remember Jesus? What an audacious dream. (laughs) That's what I want for us. I want us to be a church, to be a community who is overcome by the grace and realness of Jesus in such a way that there is never a moment when we forget him. We just remember him all the time. And toward that end, looking here at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, this morning I want to give you three short reminders for remembering. Three reminders for remembering Jesus. This applies for us today and for the weeks and months and years to come. The first reminder is that remembering Jesus is a mental action. This is verse 8 again. This is going to sound really basic, okay, but you got to hang with me. Uh, the command is to remember. And remember, the word in Greek is straightforward. It basically means the same thing we mean in English when we say remember. When we remember something, what are we doing? We are calling something to mind. That's what we do. Remembering is calling something to mind. So imagine it like this, okay? We all go about our days, and we have, imagine this, like if you, we all have a mental view, right? We all, we all have like a, a thinking zone. We all have a, we can call it something like a mental territory, a, a view, a zone, a territory. We have that. We carry that around with us every day. And well, when we remember something, what happens is that the thing that we remember, whatever that is, that comes into our mental territory, right? We got this zone. When we remember something, whatever that is, it gets dropped into view in our mental territory, So then what happens when we forget something? This is pretty simple. When we forget something, whatever the thing is that we forgot, it didn't make it into our mental territory. It stayed out of bounds. We we have the mental territory. We have the mental view, the mental zone. And what we forget are the things that don't make it in, the things that don't come into view. And that would happen for us as humans because we are human. We are finite. We we are weak. That, That would happen to us all the time, so we, we do things to help us not forget. So what do we do then to help ourselves not forget things? We station reminders. All, our, our lives are full of reminders that we station all around us in the form of alarms and calendars and to-do lists. And we have all these things in our lives because they ensure us that the important stuff We'll make it into our mental territories. Got it? Has everybody got this like, you got this picture, we all got these like zones in front of us. That's our mental territory. 
We remember things by putting those things in that territory. And I just, I just want you to know, I, I, I enjoy calendars and to-do lists. Like, I, I like these things. I enjoy these things. It's just the way that I'm wired, I guess. But I look forward every week, the beginning of every week, I look forward to writing out my to-do list for that week. And I write it out, put a little box to the left of it so I can check it off. I enjoy that. I, I usually write it on lined paper, and I, I use preferably a Pilot G2.5 point pen. It's considered extra fine. That's my list pen, which is not to be confused with my writing pen, which is the Pilot G2.38 millimeter pen. That's considered ultra fine, okay? There's fine, extra fine, ultra fine. If you know, you know, right? If some of you guys are tracking, I have my list pen, my writing pen. And so I take my list pen, I write the the, the list out, I write out what I want to do. But here's the thing, all the lists that I make, guess what? None of the lists that I make have ever accomplished anything for me. They don't do anything for me. All they actually can do, the sole purpose of the list that I write out, that we write out, the sole purpose is to put important things in our mental territory, which means you have to have a habit to check the list, right? You check the list, you see the thing, when you see the thing, oh, that thing then gets dropped into your mental territory. It is called to mind. Remembering things, this is basic about memory, remembering things means that we call things to mind. And remembering Jesus is not less than that. If you're going to remember Jesus, it means that you need to get Jesus into your mental territory. It's a mental action. Remembering is a mental action action. And, and, and I know this is basic, but it's worth saying because at this point in redemptive history, like in this world, before we can relate to Jesus in any other way, he first has to come into our minds. We got to have him in view. Remembering Jesus is a mental action. Second thing, remembering Jesus is Scripture-led. Paul tells Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, call to mind Jesus, and that means in more detail that we should think about the truth of Jesus revealed to us in Scripture. In other words, don't make up what you think about Jesus. We don't have the right to fashion together a Jesus of our own imagination. That's not, we don't do that, right? Although, that's how a lot of people function. That's how a lot of people think. That's the, that's the genius of that one scene in the classic American movie, Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. Um, 2006, this is Will Ferrell. He's the main character of this movie, who's Ricky Bobby, a NASCAR driver, and uh, and Ricky and his family, in this one scene, um, famous scene, you can Google it. He and his family are having dinner, and as they're having dinner, they get into an argument about how to address Jesus when you pray. And 
I, I, I think the scene, I think, it's, I think it's a sacrilegious scene. I don't, I don't like it. But also there's an element to it that is profound because it's exposing the silliness of a thin cultural Christianity syncretized with our American values such as expressive individualism. In the scene, Ricky says that whoever's saying grace, whoever's praying before dinner, that person gets to choose how they want to refer to Jesus. And he says that he prefers baby Jesus. And if you've seen the movie, you know he says this. And then his partner, Cal Dalton Jr., he speaks up and he says, you know, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. And then after that, they all go around and they all start saying all the different ways that they like to imagine Jesus when they pray. And the whole thing is sacrilege because nothing of what they say comes from the Bible. And you can't do that. We don't have that right. That's not how it works. The movie is a parody parody of the ways that people make up Jesus according to their own ideas. And so we have to ask, what keeps us from doing that? Like, what keeps us from making that same mistake? Look at how Paul exhorts Timothy in us in verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ. And then he gives two short descriptions of Jesus. Jesus, who is one risen from the dead. Jesus, who is two, the offspring of David. Now, of all the things that Paul could say about Jesus here, why does he say these two things? Well, it's interesting that these two things emphasize the person of Jesus as the God-man. The first description here that Jesus is risen from the dead highlights the deity of Jesus. The second description here that Jesus is the offspring of David highlights the humanity of Jesus. When it comes to the deity of Jesus, what makes that clearer to us than the fact that Jesus has conquered death? Jesus is risen from the dead. Nobody gave Jesus his life. That's the point of the virgin birth. No one gave him his life. No one can take his life from him, but he willingly laid his life down and he took it back up again. He has the right to do that because he is God. Paul tells us in the book of Romans chapter one that the event of the resurrection was when Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power. Now that doesn't mean that in the resurrection that the resurrection somehow made Jesus to be God, but it's that the resurrection was the great vindication that Jesus indeed is God, just like Jesus has said. So in accordance with the scriptures, Jesus is risen from the dead as God incarnate. The word made flesh, the fullness of deity dwelling bodily. And he's the offspring of David, which speaks to the humanity of Jesus. That when Jesus humbled himself to become a man, he did did not just join the human race in general, but he joined a family tree. 
Jesus subjected himself to a lineage of men and women with clay feet. And as God promised, that included King David. In the storyline of scripture, God promised, God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 becomes the central promise in the Old Testament. God told David that the Messiah would reign forever and that this Messiah would come through David's lineage. God made that promise to David around 1000 BC. And from that point on, throughout the rest of redemptive history, is all eyes on the house of David. The book of Psalms, that's what that is. All eyes are looking at the house of David because the Savior of the world is going to come through that door. And he did in the fullness of time. Listen, this is Galatians 4.4. God sent forth his son, his son, God, born of a woman, man, fully God and fully man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think about Jesus, we should think about that. We should think about his person revealed to us in the Bible. We, we should think about who Jesus is explained to us in the verses of the Bible or summarized for us in the great creeds from church history. We can think about Jesus with scripture in mind, like Colossians 1.15, that he is the image of the invisible God, or Hebrews 1.3, that he is the radiance of the glory of God, or John 1.14, that he is the word become flesh, or elsewhere in John we see that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the door of the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine, and on and on and on. The Bible tells us who Jesus is, and we should think about that. We should think about that when we think about Jesus. But also we have, in addition to Scripture, as a summary of Scripture, we have the great creeds and catechisms of church history, like our Christmas catechism, kids. We did our Christmas catechism when we started. Question number five is the question, who is Jesus? It's a good question, right? The most important question, who is Jesus? The answer, Jesus is the Son of God, the light of the world, Emmanuel. That's a great catechism, our Christmas catechism, or historically, we have Things like the Nicene Creed, and I love the Nicene Creed. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of the same essence of the Father. Thousands of years the church has known that since about 325. The Athanasian Creed, we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time, completely God, completely human. And there are all kinds of resources like this for us that tell us who Jesus is. The point is that when we remember Jesus, we are led by Scripture. We are Scripture-led. We think about him in light of what the Bible says about him, like the way that Paul leads us here. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Remembering Jesus brings the person of Jesus. We have our mental views. We all got our territories. When we remember Jesus, we bring the person of Jesus. Jesus, the truth of Jesus shown to us in Scripture, we bring that into our mental view. Remembering Jesus is what we're doing. Last reminder. 
Remembering Jesus is a mental action. Remembering Jesus is scripture-led. And thirdly, lastly, remembering Jesus is personal. I think that's the right adjective to use. When I, I need to explain it. When I, when I say personal, what I'm saying is that I just I want to be clear that our remembering Jesus is not exclusively a mental exercise of subscribing to certain truth claims. Now again, it, it, it's not less than that, it includes that, but when we remember Jesus, we are, we are, we, we're calling Jesus to mind, guided by the biblical testimony, but because of who Jesus is, because he is risen from the dead, the offspring of David, when we remember him, we are remembering a real person who is alive and well at the exact moment that we remember him. Jesus is not an idea. I'm going to say that the rest of my life. Jesus Christ is a real person. And so when I think about him, like right now, when we are thinking about him, Lord, he knows, as we think about him, Our thinking about him, like in this exact moment, it's not a one-way street. It's not as if Jesus is merely, you know, distant data that we bring into view, but rather the truth, the content, the thoughts about Jesus that come into our mental view are thoughts of a person who is alive in the exact moment we think them and who even knows what we're thinking when we think it. So get, get this, okay? You have never, in your life, you have never had a thought about Jesus that he did not know about when you thought it. And in fact, when we think about Jesus, he actually helps us in our thinking because he has given us his Holy Spirit and his word that guides us, which means when we think about Jesus, it's a two-way street. There's an actual relationship that's taking place as we think about him and as he, as he helps us as we commune with him in relationship, as we have a fellowship with him. And this is, where I, this is where our thinking about Jesus goes deeper than just thinking, and it gets down to the response of our hearts. Because just to say, we got our mental territories, let's just say Jesus comes into your mental territory. This is gonna happen. You're gonna think about Jesus later today. Right? He's going to come into your mental territory. You, you remember him. You've seen it's a verse hanging on your wall, or maybe it's, it's a beautiful design of the Nicene Creed that's been framed, and you got that hanging up in your house. I'd love to see those. We should have an artist make one of those for us. You know, we have, we have art like that. Maybe, you got it. maybe it's a coffee mug that you have with a verse on it. 
Maybe uh, you have a, a, an alarm that goes off as a reminder to pray um, at noon. Uh, maybe you're reading the Bible in the morning, or you're doing family devotionals at the dinner table at night, or you're listening to good music in the car. Whatever it is, however it happens, Jesus comes into your mind, you remember Jesus, and almost simultaneously as you remember Jesus, your heart is postured toward him a certain way. So we're bringing our mind and heart together here. And this is the part that really matters. This is the part that's really important because there is no neutral ground here. Either you are indifferent to Jesus, like maybe you're ashamed of him. Like you know him, you know him, you know about him, you know the truth about him, but you're just not interested. Maybe it's that. It's either that or you adore him. You adore him. You think about him and you worship him. Him, 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 the real person. The real person who could be, could be standing face to face with you right now. And one day he will be, like one day we will see him that way face to face. We remember Jesus and we worship him. We don't think about him as one part, one little part of our lives alongside everything else, but we think about him and we see him as the center of our lives (laughs) that pervades and rules over everything else. Jesus, the son of God, the light of the world, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. Question number six on our catechism. Question number six, what does Emmanuel mean? Jesus is Emmanuel, what does Emmanuel mean? Answer, God is with us. Question number seven, what do we do during Christmas? Answer, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. What do we confess during Christmas? that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And because he did, because he is come, because Jesus is being given to us even this morning, a weary world rejoices. (laughs) Weary souls rejoice. Receive your king, church. Receive your king. That's what we do at this table. We come to this table every week. And what a gift that we get to come to the Lord's table on Christmas morning. The next time that we'll have a Sunday, a Christmas day will be Sunday, is going to be the year 2033. Check my math. All right. It's true. 33. Is it 2033? Fact check me later. I read it was 2033. So the next time, now next year is 2023, but it's going to be like another 10 years before we get to do communion on Sunday morning. I say that just to say, what a sweet blessing this is, right? That's all. This just doesn't happen every year. But this morning on Christmas morning, we get to have communion together 
which means we get to receive Jesus in receiving this cup and receiving the bread and the cup. And so if you're here this morning and you trust in Jesus, if you believe in him, if you adore him, if this morning you receive Jesus, we invite you to receive him with us through this bread and through this cup. The pastors will come now and serve you. His body is the true bread.